Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name above all names, in the name of Jesus. He who left his throne above and condescended to become a man, a man of low estate, who descended from that to being killed as a common criminal, humiliated, naked, abandoned, forsaken. He was buried in a borrowed grave. Yet... His burial was like the burial of a seed, was it not? His planting, His death in the ground would be the beginning of new life on earth. His resurrection for the glory of God came only after so much darkness and uncertainty for those who stood by. His death and resurrection heralded nothing but the glory of God. And it declared the glory of the Creator. And it did it greater than the stars or the law could ever do. Can we say thanks be to God? This is God's plan for our lives too. David in Psalm 19 said this, and you know it. Many of you can quote it. The heavens do what? They declare the glory of God. Amen? And the firmament shows His handiwork day unto day utter speech and night unto night shows knowledge there's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard their line is gone out in all the earth and their words to the end of the world and in them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun you know the whole world's watching the sun tomorrow or at least they're talking about it right but the bible says that in in these words that in this Utterance, this declaration of the glory of God. God has set a tabernacle for the Son, which as a bridegroom coming out of His chamber rejoices as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven and His circuit under the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. But the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, and everybody say, and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. 
he asks a question at the end, which I actually will leave out for the moment. You see, nature around us, the eclipse tomorrow, sun, stars, they bring glory to God. The law brings greater glory. But the Bible teaches us that the Spirit of God in lives of vessels that will be sown in death and suffering, that that will bring even greater glory than the law, than in the stars themselves. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for calling us together, your people, into your house to worship. And today, Lord, we are focused on your glory and not our own. We pray, Lord, that as we come before you stained with sin, that you would forgive us and cover us with your blood. We are very mindful of our weakness and of our sinfulness, Lord, and we stand before you feeling dirty and unclean before you. But now, Lord, we pray that you would wash over us, that you would cleanse us, that you would renew our consciences today, that you would speak to us from your word, that you would feed us from heaven, that you would change us, that we may be more like you. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. standing as I read my text for you from John chapter 11 verses 3 through 6. My sermon today is called Lazarus and the glory of God and we're going to be focusing on the glory of God. John chapter 11 starting in verse 3. Therefore his sisters sent unto him saying Lord behold he whom thou lovest is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Let us pray. Lord God, as we come to this story... It's a story for us. It was very real for you. And we want to understand it. As I studied it and looked into it, Lord, I began to feel you calling me to see some things I hadn't seen before. I pray, Lord God, that by your Spirit you would illuminate these things to everyone here today. That we would know you better. And that we would understand you. That we might obey you and glorify you in our bodies as we live on this earth. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. The Bible says that we have been bought with a price. Right? That you're not your own. You ever ever think about yourself as your own? You ever think about your children as your own? When we think about our life and ourself as our own... We don't think about it right. When we think about our children as our own, you know, Derek, these are my kids, and I'll raise them how I want to raise them. When we think of our children that way, we, we err. Whose children are they? And who, whose are you? 
You're the Lord. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, do what? Therefore, glorify God in your body. That's what God's Word says. Now, none of us really know our own story. We're in it, okay? And we're living it, but, but God is writing it. Okay, we're living in it, but we can't step back from it far enough to see the true story that God is actually telling. We, we have in our own minds the story we want to be told, right? You know, I'm Luke, and, and I was at this place in life, and, and now this is where I am, and this is where I'm going to go. We, we kind of have our story, don't we, Jeff? This is what we think is going on. But we don't really know what's going on. We don't know how our story might turn today, how it might turn tomorrow. How what we thought was going to be a certain way or what we expect. I, I've been thinking a lot about this church lately. And this message actually has me thinking some thoughts I've really never had. You know, I, I, part of what helps me, you know, to have kept at doing what I do here in this church for a long time is because I imagine I know where my story is going. But you know what might be, Steve? My story is not going where I think my story is going at all. And the problem with having a, a story built up in your mind of what you're going to do is when it doesn't work out that way, then what? Right? And, and I won't get into my grandiose delusions, which I do, I'm sure I have. Because you'd probably think even worse of me. But I'm imagining I'm going to do, I'm going to be a part of something great that God is doing. And you know what? If I am, that would be great. You know what is far more likely? That I'm really not. That God's doing something great I don't even know. I'm, I'm missing it, but, but I'm here and I'm, I'm doing my best, but I probably don't know my own story. Does that make any sense to you? Now, this is sort of unsettling maybe, but it's true. We are not the prophets of our own future. God's glory is what we are supposed to be involved in. Okay, the story brings glory to one and one only, and we are not that one. In the end, it's not so we can write a book about our life so people can go, man, that was a really great guy. I mean, I love reading books like that. But there is, a, there is an end that should happen, I hope, to every sermon and should happen to all of our lives. In the end, what people should say is, God was great. Not, he was great, or that sermon was really awesome, or he's a good preacher. It should be, we should get done, and there should be a sense in us that our God is great, and he is amazing. We like another story to be told, wouldn't we, Tim? Mentally, and I don't, I don't mean that you really want it after what I just said. Of course you don't now. Now, of course, no, 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 no. I want to be the worm in the story. I want to be the worm the robin picks up and flies off with. I, that's what I want to be. Our story will bring glory to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. As the heavens declare the glory of God, our lives do so even more. And as people stand on mountaintops gazing in awe at the expanse of space, or as they stand with welding helmets on tomorrow at 2.30, and they watch the total eclipse of the sun, our lives, seen in the light of God's masterpiece, will shock the world with its beauty and will illuminate something that some astronomical thing we'll never do. 
I mean, people, do you know there are predicted, Andy, traffic jams all over the United States as people go to the place where they can best see it. Now, there's something neat about that. They're all stopping and they're watching something in the heavens. But they're, when they see it, what will they even see? They, they'll see, oh, this is something that won't be seen in a hundred years and I got to see it. I was watching, I was looking at something I thought was funny, you know, the proper way to look at it is to poke a hole in a piece of paper and lay another paper, piece of paper on the ground and then you want, and they're like, and you can watch the eclipse by looking at, I'm like, that is not watching the eclipse. That is watching a piece of paper and a shadow on a piece of paper on the ground. And as interesting as that, that may be, I'm not driving to Kentucky to do that, okay? That's just a little tirade of mine. I've heard numerous people speak presumptuously as they look at the events of their lives and the lives of others. And they will say, well, uh, well God could not get glory from this. I mean, this cannot be. How, how many of this? Well, this can't happen, right? How many times did people come up to you and go, oh, well, no, this can't be. This can't be. God would not do this. This is, this is, there's nothing good about this, they will say. This person could, this could not happen to this person or, or no, there's no way someone would work this hard to build this thing only for it just to fall to the ground. That can't be. There could be no point to that. Folks, when we talk like that, when we look at things and we make our judgments, we need to understand that we are little, stupid people whose thoughts are not God's thoughts. And we talk as though we are the big ones and we are the smart ones and we are the wise ones. And we, we live like this when we are little and God is big. And, and, and honestly, that's probably the biggest understatement a person could make in a day. We're little and God's big. I don't even think comparing our size to God's side even makes any sense whatsoever because He's limitless and we are finite and we're even small in this, in this created world. I mean, just get next to a whale and you will feel your insignificance. Much less God. We can't even comprehend it. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His thoughts are past finding out. And today God is calling us to surrender what we have already been conquered by. This, this is true. We just don't know it. You know, it says in Philippians 3, which we're memorizing, He said, I want to apprehend that which I am already apprehended of. Right? What's He talking about? He's like, I'd like to understand better and I would like to grasp better what's really got a hold of me. What's really driving my story and my destiny and my purpose, it's got me, but I don't really have a grasp of it. And that's called the glory of God. That's what we miss out on when we look this way instead of look this way. To embrace what has apprehended us And in the frame of our lives is being cast. God is good. Everybody say, God is good. God is is holy. Say, God's holy. holy. You see, God cares about us and those we love like we could never care. He is wise and He is lovely. And in Him there is no darkness, no ignorance, no weakness. And in our defiled bodies, beholding His total glory would instantly incinerate us. We're afraid to look at the sun tomorrow at 2.30 lest we have retinal damage. I'm telling you, if you could even partially halfway sideways look at the glory of God, it wouldn't just burn your eyes, it would incinerate you into nothingness.
Today let us be reminded that the sun is merely one small light among billions that our Creator spoke into existence on the fourth day of creation. That's putting the sun in its place, is it not? Lazarus, like the sun, and like you and me, was made for God's glory. What is man's chief end? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And we love the enjoy Him forever because that means we get to enjoy good food and enjoy fellowship and enjoy the pleasures of His right hand evermore. But the first part of that is man's chief end is to do what? To glorify God. And, and we love the sound of that, but the practice of that is not so pleasant. Even Jesus, God's Word made flesh on the earth, on the cross. He was not enjoying the glory of God in that moment. He was saying, if there was some way, you know, He's in the garden before it. If there's some way to let this cup pass for me, please. But there was no other. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. As they beat his back, as they drove the nails in his hand, as he suffered under those, you know, breaths on the cross, as he died. There was, there was nothing about that, I'm sure, that, that a man could grasp as being something that could glorify God. But it did. More than anything any other man ever did, but yet it was the most unlikely thing ever. Nobody would sign up for that. John 11, we'll start John 11, we'll go through this story. This story of Lazarus is about the glory of God. Not the glory of Lazarus, not the glory of Mary, not the glory of Martha, but God will be glorified in all of us. John 11, 1. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus, of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother... Lazarus was sick. Now, you know, if you read without any curiosity when you read the scripture, you will miss so many things. You will just, you'll just, you'll read things and it'll be like, you know, once upon a time there was a princess who lived in a castle, you know, whatever. And you'll read and you'll miss it completely. Okay. So the writer John here tells us about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It says where they live. He's explaining who they were. And it's telling us that they're sick, okay? These three living between Jericho and Jerusalem were among Jesus' very closest friends that He had on this earth. Now how they came to be this is is, is really hid from us. Uh, we We didn't see their friendship developing in the narrative of the Gospels, but He loved these people. And John takes time to make this clear to us, okay? He loved to be with them. He loved to talk with them. It's, you know, when you try to, when you imagine Jesus, sometimes you imagine Him and not as a real person, but Jesus had friends. How many of you have friends? Yeah. A lot of you come to church to see your friends. That's why you come. You come to worship the Lord, but honestly, you're like, well, is, you know, is, is this one going to be there? Is that one going to be there? Did they bring my note? Or did they get my little birthday card? Or oh, is it Valentine? Or whatever it is, right? We love friends. Jesus was like that. Jesus had friends. He liked some people better than he liked others. You might go, oh, that wouldn't be fair. Oh, yeah, it is. He liked them. He liked them, and there were two of them were girls. Jesus liked these girls, Mary and Martha. You might go, well, I don't know about that. He loved them. Everybody say, he loved them. 
You know, we live in a culture that is so sexualized that loving people and liking people or whatever turns into some weird thing. It's all right to love people. It's all right to have friends. It's all right, you know, to, to, you know, to have friendships that are deep and abiding and Christ had them. He wasn't married to any of these women. He wouldn't have a wife of his own, but he loved Mary and Martha and he loved Lazarus too. They were his friends. But at this point... They're calling on Him. Now, I want to tell you just a little bit about that. It's odd though that whenever we say Mary and, Mar- Mary and Martha, how do we say it? We say it like that, right? Mary and Martha, right? But you see, Mary was not the prominent one in the, in the family. You can read about this in Luke chapter 10. The first time Jesus comes to the house in Bethany... In, in uh, Luke 10 it says, And there was a woman named Martha who opened up her home and invited the Lord in. So it wasn't named, the home wasn't Lazarus' home, and the home wasn't uh, Mary's home. It was whose home? Everybody say it was Martha's home. Now how can that be? Maybe her parents had died. Maybe she was like Elizabeth. She's the older sister of the family, right? Maybe uh, living with her is like, you know, Liam is living with her and maybe Anna kind of a thing. Her little brothers and sisters. I don't know how it happened, but, but here we have a woman who opened up her home to the Savior. You guys remember this story? I was trying to talk to my kids about this. You guys remember this? So Jesus comes in the home in Bethany and Martha is the one that invites him in. Now Jesus didn't travel by himself, right? So here he is. Could you imagine? Every, you know, he comes in the house with twelve guys. I mean, you talk. What, what's got to happen, Christina? Come on. What's the first thing that you're going to think of? Thirteen men have just walked into your house, and they've been like walking all day long. Hey, this is great. You know, let's let's put on a DVD, right? No. What's the first thing everyone wants to establish before any fun happens? Where's the food? What are we going to eat? What are we going to do? So, so Martha starts working on that. Do you guys remember this? This is not in our story. This is what happened before this. This is the first time Jesus came to this house. So Martha's like, oh, there's food to be made. There's potatoes to be peeled. There's things to be cooked. We got to do this. I got. And she notices that Mary is just sitting there, you know. And Jesus is talking and Mary's just going... You know, and Martha is peeling and she's fixing and she's cleaning and she's doing dishes and she's making sure, you know, there's the, the little covers are folded nice and the, and Jesus has a pillow or whatever she's doing, right? And she's, she's, she's working so much and she's like, look at Mary. She's doing nothing. And so she comes over to our Lord and she says, Lord, can you see there's a lot to be done around here? And she's doing nothing. She's having me do it all. Do you guys remember what Jesus says to her? He says, Martha, I can see that you're worried about a whole lot of things. And I know you think there's a whole lot of things that need to be worried about here today. But you know, there's really only one thing. He said, there are a lot of things. In fact, there's really only one thing that you ought to be worried about. And Mary's worrying about that. Kind of put her in her place, right? Mary's taking the greater part. So Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to them. So this was apparently the very first time he had met them and uh that's that's kind of how that narrative went so martha's the older sister mary's the younger sister lazarus is probably the younger brother this is just what i'm guessing why else would it be the house of martha if mary and martha are sisters and if lazarus is their brother why would it be okay i don't know exactly but that's what i'm thinking all right so martha glorified god everybody say martha glorified god she 
by opening her home, by working hard to be hospitable. But she also glorified God in that she was pointed out as a bad example. I, I said that one, I remember, Andrew remembers this, we went to this church and, and one of the things I used to say is I want to be used, you know, and, and uh, whatever, Lord, I just want to be used, you know. And some guy comes out of a Sunday school class at, at, and, and say, hey, I used you as an example in Sunday school today. And he said, I used you as a bad example. And I'm like, oh, thank you. I just want to be used. It was sort of a joke, you know, I just want to be used, you know. Well, there's a joke in that, but it's really true. Sometimes the way God uses us is we get used as a bad example. Oh, well, now how can that be? Because it glorifies God. When we do something that's wrong, and God points out how what we did is wrong, and how it shouldn't be done that way, that's actually a way of glorifying God. You know, oh, that's how I want to glorify God. I'm going to do all the wrong stuff so God can point. That's, that's not really what I'm shooting for here. Okay? But, but Martha was used in that she, she glorified God and that she opened her home and that she worked hard. But she was also glorifying God in that she was used as an example of how not to be. Now Mary, on the other hand, she didn't work as hard, but she did listen to the Savior. And it's interesting to me that John introduces her and tells us about her. Now catch this, Steve. He tells us about her what hasn't happened yet. You see, this, where, G, where, where Mary breaks the ointment, this doesn't happen until John chapter 12. But in John 11, John says, this is the Mary that broke the ointment and poured it on the, our Lord and washed His feet with her hair. The story is being told before the stories even happen in chronology. He's reminding us who Mary is. She's the one who's later going to do this. See, John was old. And when John wrote his story, everyone knew the stories. They didn't know the details. And so he wanted them to understand the details. So it was like, you know, you're hearing a story. And you're hearing a story about a little boy named Paul. And he's learning to ride a horse. And And then the rider stops and goes, and you know, he's the one who rode his horse through Boston and said, the British are coming, the British are coming, right? It hadn't quite happened yet, but the, but, the re, but the writer wants you to know who this is. This is Mary that's going to do this later. Okay, and we read, you read about that in John chapter 12, and I'll preach about that at another time. So Mary's great day of glorification had not yet come. It would come after this, yet John mentions it here for the readers of the events. After this day as recorded in John 12, Mary would anoint Jesus with an expensive oil and wipe His feet with her long, beautiful hair. Her love for Him and her grateful heart which spilled out that day would shine like a comet across the life of Jesus and God's story of redemption. Her light glorified the beauty and the mercy that she had received in her great salvation and the mercy that God had also shown to her in that He had risen her brother from the dead. This is why she did this. Does it make a little bit more sense why she did it? You see, these things happen. She poured the ointment out and did this after they were friends. After he had risen Lazarus from the dead. That to me is interesting. Can it be that God could get glory from sickness? How many want to glorify God through your sickness? That's not what I would sign up for. You know, some people are glorifying God through their illness. 
How many want to glorify God through suffering? Everybody say, honestly, I don't want to suffer. I do not want to suffer, right? The Bible says, yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. And that when we suffer, that our sufferings are not pointless, but that we share in the sufferings of Christ. Is that not what the Bible says? But yet none of us want suffering. How many of you want to glorify God through neglect? Through death? Through the grief grief that's caused by it? How about from four days of decaying flesh? I mean, this cannot be good. I mean, could you imagine living through this? This is not good. Yet, see, we've talked about how God glorified through Mary. We talked about how God glorified through Martha. But you see, Lazarus, everybody say Lazarus had a different story. Lazarus isn't the one anointing anybody's feet. Lazarus isn't the one. Lazarus, the way he glorifies God is by dying and suffering and being sick and being abandoned and calling for his friend and his friend's not coming. And, ugh rotting in the ground for four days till he stinks i mean guys this is not this is not this is not what this could not possibly bring glory to god you might say to yourself right verse three therefore his sister sent unto him okay so lazarus is sick we're now in verse three because he's sick jesus gets a message from mary and martha and they say lord Lazarus is sick. Is that what it says? Or it says, behold, he who you love is sick. Now, if you got a message like that, is there a little bit more into this? What do you think? Benita sends out the note. Uh, The one you love is sick. What are you saying? Come now, right? What are you expecting? Oh, we're not just, it's not just one of these many people that you heal. It's your friend. You can heal him. And I know if you knew about his sickness, you would get there and you would fix the problem. The man that you love, your buddy, Lazarus, your close friend, Steve Boise. I mean, hey, Steve's on the phone. He's called, hey, Steve needs you. And I'm going to, oh yeah, well, that's my buddy. I love Steve. I'm, Steve's like, all I had to tell him was that it was Steve. You know, the one he loves, his buddy. All right, he's going to be there. Can you hear it? Yes, we know who you are, Jesus, but we know you. Uh, we, we know that you're special and that you would do whatever it is, though, that Lazarus needs, right? You know how you can sort of call in a favor? I mean, how many of you know there are people you call, and if, if you call, they drop everything and they're there, right? I got some friends like that. And, and, and I know it's not like I'm going to go, well, seriously, man, you know, you know, I know you're really tired. Yeah, oh, you were out late last night. Okay. Do you understand I'm on the side of the road right now with my little children? Oh, you're tired. Okay, I see. How many want to call that person? How many are people? So you call the person and you go, where are you? How can I get there? What can I do? What, can I- what do I need to do? Do I need to bring a rope or whatever? Oh, it's four feet of snow. No problem. I'll bring a snow shovel. I'll shovel it all the way to you. How many like calling people like that? I like calling people like that. We know you've publicly healed numerous sick. We know what you can do. What, but what will you do for your friend Lazarus, whom you love? He's sick. Come on, Jesus. Can you hear it? This is what they were expecting. Of course they were. Why? Because they should. Jesus would be there for them. Everybody say, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So do you think Jesus knows that they figure he's coming? 
I mean, if Jesus got the message, he's going to drop everything and he's going to be there and he's going to help me out. Of course he is, right? But they found him and they delivered the message. And you guys know what he does. Does he run coming? to? No, he does not. How do you think that felt? I mean, it's bad enough what they're going through, Tim, right? It's bad enough. But on top of all of their brother being sick, you know, he's the man of the house. Maybe he's their provider. I don't know. He's sick. He's their friend. We, the Lord knows about it. We've got a solution to our problem. He doesn't come. How do you think when they saw him cleaning close to death and dying, how, what do you think? Not only were they dealing with their grief, but what else were they dealing with? They were dealing with, well, why didn't he come? We know he got the message. He was just a, right over there. Two days have gone back. He's five miles away. He can walk 20, 30 miles in one day. He's five miles away. Two days passed and we're by his bedside and we're, and my, my brother is dead. What are they dealing with guys? Are they, do you think they're dealing with that? I think they were dealing with that. I think Jesus wanted them to deal with that. And I think that might be hard for us to, to sort of deal with. Could God get glory from someone not coming who's supposed to come? For a friend letting you... Could God get glory from that? I, oh. They should have been there. Could it be that God could be glorified by what Jesus did not do to His friends in their time of need? Certainly not, they thought. Certainly not. We think that when God does not come and do what we want Him to do, that certainly that could not be good. Verse 4, when Jesus heard that, He said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Everybody say, the glory of God. See, this is where it slaps us in the face. So for the glory of God, He was sick. For the glory of God, He's going to die. For the glory of God, He doesn't come. For the glory of God, His friends are neglected and they're left alone in their pain to deal with this. For the glory of God, this is not really what I want to hear because I'd really, God get glory through other things. But yet, here John shows us in this verse expressly what the purpose of all these things were for and they were for the glory of God. The central theme of the story is the glory of God. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. Can you believe this? We're only we're in 3 verses of uh, we're in only in 5 verses of chapter 11 and we've heard 3 times how much he loves these people. Isn't that amazing? What do you what do you think is being told here in this story? What do you think the writer does not want us to miss? Jesus loves them and He's not helping them. He's not answering their prayer. He's not coming when they want Him to come. And He's leaving them in their suffering and their sickness and their grief without Him. Oh, this is horrible. Painful. How could you miss this though? In verse 5. Verse 5 is the third verse and five verses that point out the close relationship He had. They had history. Verse 1, Mary and Martha called Jesus by telling Him uh, that the friend that they love is sick. In verse 5, the storyteller says, Oh, you know, He loved these people. In case you didn't notice, Jesus loved these people. I mean, three times. Bam, bam, bam. When He heard, therefore, that He was sick, I mean, you, th- if you were reading this story, this would make you mad if you were really thinking about it like a real story. When He heard, therefore, that He was sick... He stayed 
two days in the same place where he was. I mean, it, how, how blatant is John here? Everybody say, Jesus didn't come. Jesus didn't come on purpose. Jesus didn't come up. Jesus knew the need. See, you, you think Jesus, this is a prayer, right? Come. Abby, come. When you are sending a message and telling Jesus to come, this is a prayer, folks. Jesus, come. Come meet my need. Come heal my brother. Come help me. Come be with me. And He doesn't come. He doesn't send a message. He does what appears to be nothing. Now, I, this, is this painful for anybody here in this room? It's painful for me. Now the timeline is difficult. Lazarus may actually have even been dead by the time the messengers reached him because Lazarus, when he finally gets to him, has been dead for how many days? For four days. I'm telling you, Jesus is just, he's not even in Mount Sterling from here. As he's five miles. He's right down the road. Nonetheless, no matter when he died exactly, Jesus deliberately stayed put, did not go to Lazarus because he knew he was going to die. And that his death and the circumstances around it were set by God for God's glory. He did not run to the bedside of Lazarus, which I'm sure Mary and Martha had expected that he would. This had to pain them deeply and perhaps more deeply than death that actually came because they knew this was deliberate. Verse 7, after he said to his disciples, after two days, he says, let's go to Judea again. The disciples say, Master, the Jews of late have been trying to kill you. And you want to go there again? And Jesus said, Are not there twelve hours in a day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbles not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the light, and he, he, he walks in the night, he stumbles because there is no light. Jesus was comparing himself. He's like, I can't stay put. I'm like the sun. i got to come. If I, if I don't come, then no light is coming. i got to go. i got to go no matter what. He's talking about the glorification of God here. Jesus compared the glory of the light of His coming to Judea like the sun that dispels darkness wherever it goes. If He did not go, the people would remain in darkness. He was going to glorify God. He would walk in the darkness and dispel it by the actions that He did. This is what God has called us out of the darkness into His marvelous light for. That's what we are called for, to be the light, right? Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. But then what did He say to you? You are the light of the world, right? You're like a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Cannot be hid. Therefore, do what? Everybody say, glorify God, right? Glorify God. What do we do? He says that we may by our good works do what? Glorify our Father which is in heaven. That's what the scripture says in Matthew five fourteen. Verse 11, these things said he after he said unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he does well. They're like, well, you know, if he's resting nicely, rest will help him. He's like, no, no, you don't understand. Jesus was talking about his death and Jesus told them plainly in verse 14. You have to understand, Lazarus is dead. Now, he says something in verse 15 that poignantly makes this story even more so what I'm trying to tell you. Verse 15, and he says this, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Isn't that a strange statement? To the intent that you may believe, nevertheless, let us go to him. Jesus is saying, not only was I there, but I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad I wasn't there because what was... How could have they dealt with... Could you imagine if Jesus had gone there, Steve? 
and watched Lazarus die. And then sat there for four days. And they would have been crying and grieving. And why don't you do something? Could you imagine that? And Jesus was like, I'm really glad I wasn't there. And you might go, well, Jesus didn't have these kind of feelings. Yes, he does. He comes here in a minute. And he even knows he's going to raise him from the dead. And he cries. He cries because he sees Mary weeping and Martha crying and he knows how abandoned they feel and he knows the pain they're going through and he grieves and he cries. That's where Jesus wept. I'm glad I wasn't there. And then Thomas, you know, we call him believing Thomas here at this church instead of doubting Thomas. I'm going to call him courageous Thomas now. Thomas missing the whole point but excited. You know what he says? He says... Then let us go, that we may die with Lazarus also. You know, it sounds like Shakespeare. Makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. You know, Lazarus is sick. Thomas is like, let us go then with Lazarus and let us die. You know, and Jesus is probably looking at him like, wow, okay. Jesus says nothing about this, okay? But Thomas in his misguided courage, you know, makes a Shakespearean statement here. And God really was going to prepare Thomas with the courage to live for him. You know, it takes more courage to live for God than it might take to die. Verse 17, Jesus came, found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Bethany was nine to Jerusalem. See, that's, he's, he's, uh, what's that? That's where Jesus was. Jesus was near there, okay? Many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. Here's Martha. Martha's not used to sitting around. She's a worker. She's a preparer. And she's going to, Jesus is coming. She's going to go out and meet him. And she does. Mary did what she did on the day first Christ came to her house. She sat still. She just sat there. I'm not, I'm just going to sit here. Now grief stricken, she sat in the house. She didn't go out to meet Jesus. The experience that she was about to have was going to change her completely. After this, she would get up and do one of the most wonderful things that anybody ever does in Scripture. She would go from a woman who sat to a woman who would get up and pour out the ointment, but she would have to go through this. And here she was. She was dumbfounded with grief and pain. And she's sitting in the house. She doesn't even want to get up and go. She's been crying for four days. Her brother is gone. Jesus didn't come. He's in the grave. They had to go through washing him and covering him with the the napkin and the the grave cloths and putting him there. They had to live through those days. Who would want to do that to anybody? But yet Jesus did that to them on earth purpose it's hard to fathom Martha says to Jesus Lord if you had been there my brother would not have died you see she knew that he could heal and she was right but God does not always do what we expect him to do the story that God is writing is not predictable she was wrong in that if he had been there he wouldn't have died Jesus would not have healed Lazarus It was God's plan for Lazarus to die. It was God's plan for Mary and Martha to feel that they had been abandoned by Jesus. 
It was God's will for them to suffer four days of grief. It was God's plan that they bury their brother. Isn't this hard? Isn't this just sad? How could this be good? How could, how could this be God's plan for them? Just thinking it through is too painful for me to imagine. We, we talk to people about what happens next, like, like, like nothing that just happened. When you tell the story of Lazarus, it's all about what happened when he came out of the grave. And that's exciting. But what happened before that, to me, has got to be just as important as what happens after. Martha's faith was incredible. Even though four days of agony, pain, and neglect, and grief, and even death through all this... You know what Mary? You know what Martha says in verse twenty-two. She said, "But I know that even now, whatever you ask of God, He will give." Who, who ever spoke any words of faith like this in the Scripture? I've never heard them. Her brother. She'd just gone through all this pain and suffering and agony and difficulty, and he's been in dead, dead four days. And and Martha says, "You know, I know you even have the power right now to bring him back." What faith she had. She knew who he was. And she didn't say, I think, and maybe. She said, I know. Everybody say, I know. know. You know, sometimes knowing what God can do is hard when He doesn't do it. Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said, oh, I know he will. I know he will. On the great day of the resurrection, he will rise again. I know it. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? You see, it was not just important that she believed that he could do miracles. It was important that she believed that he was the Son of God. It was important that she believed that that death would come to an end because of him. That was the most important thing. Not that he was the miracle worker. And she said, Oh Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. I believe. And when she had said so, she went her way and she called Mary... And she even told Mary that what wasn't even true. The master's looking for you. At least we don't know. It didn't say anywhere. Where's Mary? Where's Mary? It says she went secretly to Mary and said the master's look. She wanted Mary to be a part of this. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly. She came to Jesus. Jesus was not coming to the town, but was in a place where Martha had met him. The Jews which were with him went to the house, comforted her. When they saw Mary, she rose up again hastily. They followed her and she said, oh, she's going out to the grave to weep. Then Mary was come where Jesus was. She saw him. She fell down at his feet. And you know what she said? She said the same thing that Martha had said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would never have died. What was on her mind? Was it her brother or was it the abandonment that she had felt by Jesus? It was that. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews weeping, which came to her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. It was hard for Jesus to see her weep. When we weep and when we suffer and we go through difficulty, God feels it and loves us. But He loves us enough to let us weep for His glory. Jesus said, where have you laid Him? And they said unto Him, Lord, come and see. 
Verse 35, shortest verse in the New Testament, Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, behold how he loved him. Remember when we talked about grief? We cry. The Jews knew this was what you do when you cry. When you, when you grieve, you cry. And Jesus was grieving. Jesus had just said he was the resurrection and the life, yet he was crying. Why? Death is sad. The path to glory and to glorification is painful and sad. Even for Jesus, it was. He was filled with deep emotion and grief. Some said to them, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Let's say it one more time. God doesn't always do what He can do. Sometimes we see the glory of God in what He doesn't do and what we expect Him to do. God will have all of His holy will I actually have more here. I've gone way too long today. This should help us to put our lives in perspective today. To look at the great and glorious God. And be blessed to be a part of His story. This is not our story. This is His story. Let us pray. Oh Lord God. We have been proud and ignorant and focused on ourselves, O Lord, when it is Your glory that we should all be seeking. O Lord, forgive us and give us a glimpse of Your glory so that we can see ourselves in Your light and humility will be our only response. Thanksgiving will be our only response. That we would come with grateful hearts before you, not standing proud or expectant, but that we would trust you. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.